Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Hey everybody, welcome to National Championship Monday. I'm sure a few of you, if not many or most of you, getting ready to watch the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship tonight between UConn and San Diego State. How crazy is that? Uh, potentially future Pac-12 member, San Diego State. Uh, have fun with that. Um, we're going to talk about a few things today. Of course, it's mock draft, mo- mock draft Monday, and we only have three more of these after today until the actual draft. So we're going to have some fun with this. Um, do some different scenarios. To this point, I've basically just done kind of straight up mock drafts. Last week's no trades, just the native picks. Um, next week, I'll probably do one where I do trade down a couple of times, try to get a few more picks and get some value. Um, look, Maybe look at a trade-up scenario potentially as well. Uh, today, we're going to have some fun. I'm going to throw some curveballs at you because the Seahawks usually do, right? So today, I'll present a mock draft that has basically following the draft board, kind of zeroing in on some needs, obviously, positional value, but throwing some curveballs, some things you might not be expecting, some things you might not like initially. And then we'll we'll kind of rationalize those because undoubtedly the Seahawks are going to do some things on the first day of the draft, second day of the draft, the, the entirety of the draft that are going to throw us for a loop that at first blush might not make sense, but we're going to have to look at it afterwards. Last year was really the first time in the John Schneider, Pete Carroll era where Most of us looked at what they did throughout the draft and every single pick made sense and uh, was was easy to um, wrap your head around immediately, which was different. (laughs) John Schneider, though, has been telling us that last year was a change in philosophy, best player available, not reaching for need as much, and that they're going to stick with that. So we'll see. But we'll have some fun with that today. I'm also going to take a look at a couple other mock draft ideas from Pro Football Focus. One is, as was presented by them, they took all the teams that had multiple first-round picks and tried to present who they thought would be the perfect combination for each team. I'll tell you who they selected for the Seahawks with 5-20, and 20, give me my thoughts on that, and then I'll give you a little bonus what I think at this point, three weeks out from the draft, with everything we've looked at and all the tape I've studied and all the things I've read, What I think, as I sit here today, would be the perfect situation for the Seahawks in the first round. And I'll even add the second round in there. Or at least the first three picks. I think I went through pick 37. Then I'm also going to look at something else PFF released today. Big day. Big day on Mock Draft Monday uh, today where they did a three-round mock for the entire NFL draft. Uh, for the entire league, and then they broke it down by division. So I'll let you know who they had. The Cardinals picking, the Rams picking, the 49ers picking, and the Seahawks, of course. Give you my thoughts on that. Kind of give you an idea of what uh, our opponents might do. We're also going to talk about what I feel like today the Seahawks should do at five. And uh, finally, my thoughts on Geno Smith's letter today to the Players' Tribune. But let me start with this. Um, because there's there's still a lot of talk three days after the fact of uh, the fact the Seahawks have released Ryan Neal. And I say released, um, I'm generalizing, of course. 
Um, they had originally given him a right of first refusal tender, which would have given him a chance to go out and be a free agent, negotiate with other teams, but gives the Seahawks a chance to match any offer that he was given uh, without any compensation. There was some surprise that they didn't give him, for example, a second round tender, which would have brought back a second round pick in next year's draft if he had signed elsewhere and the Seahawks refused to match it. Um, but we've talked about how tight cap space is, especially given how aggressive the Seahawks have been in free agency so far. I don't think any of us are upset that they've been aggressive in free agency, adding some outside talent. There's some agreement and disagreement on the players they have brought in, but the fact that they've gone out and looked for players that they feel can be significant contributors in free agency is a little bit of a departure from what they've done and something that I think signals that they want to win now and think they can win now. And um, I think most fans are pleased with that. Um, but not a lot of cap space left. In fact, as, as we sit here today, not enough cap space to sign their draft class or their practice squad or allow for contingencies. Um, so some things are going to have to be done, right? Um Giving him the second round tender, I think the number was like four and a half million. It would have counted against the cap. Um, but, and we talk about this a lot. Pete Carroll even said it at the owners meetings a few days ago that John Schneider is as good as anyone else in the NFL at gauging markets. Look what's happened so far. Look at all the free agents they've let walk. Cody Barton signed elsewhere. Travis Homer signed elsewhere. Maybe in a certain circumstance, they might have welcomed either of those players back. Uh, they didn't. Um, they didn't offer a tender to a couple of their exclusive rights free agents, including a guy like Tanner Muse, who shows some upside at a position of need at linebacker. They let Puna Ford walk. They released Shelby Harris, Al Woods. They've said on the record that they'd be open to a reunion, bringing those guys back. If things are different money-wise, guess what? None of those players have yet to be signed by other teams. And now as we get closer to the draft, you're not going to see a lot of movement. There's some pretty significant free agents still out there. Uh, Rashawn Evans, uh, Frank Clark, guys who are genuinely seen as, or general generally seen as in their prime, productive players who are going to cost some money. Still out there. I think teams are in a holding pattern right now. They've filled their biggest holes. They've spent some of their money. There's a lot of salary cap space out there league-wide that hasn't been spent yet, but they're waiting for the draft. Let's see how the draft falls. Then we have some needs afterwards. Then we can start bringing in veterans. And that's where the bargains can be had. That's where you get guys at vet minimum deals with some incentives. And so I fully expect, you. let's just look at the list. Those four players, Ryan Neal, Al Woods, uh, Shelby Harris, and um, and Tanner Muse. Four players that they could use back that would make a lot of sense for them to bring back. Al Woods, pure nose tackle. We don't have one on the roster right now. Huna Ford, a lot of talk about how he played out of position last year, but as a true nose tackle, would fit what the Seahawks are doing. And Pete Carroll has said on the record, we'd love to have him back. Shelby Harris, a guy that can play all up and down the line in even or odd-numbered fronts. A lot of value there. Great club, great locker room guy. Would love to have them back. They've said it on the record. 
And Tanner Mew is a guy that makes sense. We need depth at linebacker. He can really run. He can hit. He's got some coverage skills, former safety. They'd probably like to have him back. Chances are one or two players on that list, if not more, will be back, but probably not until after the draft. And so by rescinding Ryan Neal's right of first refusal tender, Seahawks saved $2.6 million in cap space. Um, At the time it was done, the timing seemed a little bit odd, and there was some thought that maybe it signaled an impending move. There's a lot of speculation that maybe maybe it's Puna. Nothing's happened. Um, It's probably just doing their due diligence, just taking care of their books and also giving Ryan Neal a chance to just get out there. Although he's all, he's, he had already been allowed to talk to other teams. He was essentially a free agent already. Maybe it's John Schneider just seeing the market and seeing an opportunity to take that money back and put it on the books and let Neal explore. But let's talk practically also. A lot of people are upset by this move, and I get it. He's a likable player. He's a good clubhouse dude. He's one of the dudes after the playoff game that was the most outspoken about where he thought this team was headed and uh, and how close they were to being a contender and how excited he was for the offseason and next season. Um, he's also a guy that, that on the field produces, can play free safety and strong safety, has been productive. And we get attached to players, right? We get attached to the names on the back of the jersey. And I understand that. And I used to be a lot more emotionally attached to players in that way than I am now. I'm a little more pragmatic and practical now. Um, For those of you who are really upset about the Ryan Neal move, I would say two things. Number one, again, he could very well be back. And number two, he's not irreplaceable. Julian Love is a very good player, and the Seahawks paid good money to get him. You're gonna, you're gonna love him. Um, and he does a lot of the things that Ryan Neal did, and I would argue does him a little bit better. Also, Ryan Neal had some durability issues. Not significant when you look at it on paper. He's only missed, I think, three games over the last two years, but hurt all through training camp last year. Wasn't able to get on the field the first couple of weeks last year, and after the Jamal. Adam's injury that was significant if he had been there week one week two week three last year it might have lessened the blow of the Adams injury um good player would love to have him back he fits what they do there's still a chance he'll come back so let's wait and see how this plays out okay um as I look at the draft this year I keep this occurred to me today driving to the gym and I'm thinking about pick number five (laughs) and I'm telling you, man, I, I change my mind daily about what I want the Seahawks to do with pick number five. And it, it caused me to ask myself this question. So I'll ask you, are the Seahawks the biggest storyline of the first round this year? Are they the biggest mystery in this draft this year? I kind of feel like they are. Um, They've been so outgoing about how they're looking at the quarterbacks. And they've gone out of their way 
to double down anytime they're asked about it. That, yeah, we're into it. We're excited about the quarterbacks in this class, and we don't get a chance to pick five very often. And even though we love Geno Smith and we love Drew Locke, best player available, we have to think about the future. And I've gone back and forth. And here's what I've landed on. For me, as I sit here today, what I want the Seahawks to do, not what I think they'll do, because that just that's too much. That's too much for me. When I sit and try to think about what they will do, my brain starts to hurt. What I want them to do as we sit here today, and this may surprise you, take Jalen Carter or Will Anderson or trade down. Not in that order, by the way. Will Anderson would be my preference. Carter, Anderson, or trade down. The reason I say that might surprise you is because those of you who listened to my show a couple of weeks ago, or a month ago now, about Jalen Carter and how adamant I was that the Seahawks should probably take him off their draft board, I did say at the time that he still had time to change things and things still had time to evolve in that process. And it's been pretty quiet. He took care of the legal part of it. There's been some explanation as to why his pro day might not have gone as well as it did. And at the end of the day, the Seahawks are going to make a decision on whether or not uh, they trust this kid's character, um, of which really, honestly, his teammates, coaches, a lot of people come to the defense uh, about what kind of dude this guy is. Um, My concern when I talked about whether he might be off their draft board was almost entirely about loving football. And having a passion to be great. And how the way he handled his pro day uh, didn't reflect those values. Um, the Seahawks are going to make a decision about that. They're going to they're look at the character, but then they're going to look at how big of a risk is this guy. A lot of people are comparing Jalen Carter to the Malik McDowell situation. Questions about Malik McDowell leading up to the draft weren't just about his behavior off the field. They were also about his motor. And his passion for the game. Dude took plays off. Dude showed up. Dude was invisible. That is not a question about Jalen Carter. If you go strictly off tape, there's no question. If you go strictly off tape, he's Arizona's pick at three. The Seahawks are going to look at that, consider that, and ultimately ask themselves, do we think this guy wants to be great? Can we untap that part of him? Make him a great player. Uh, and also, is he going to behave and and keep things in line and be available to us on a week-in, week-out basis and be a, a positive contributor to our to our locker room and our roster? So there's still a chance. Uh, today, um, uh, there was a report today. Trey Wingo said that he has direct knowledge that two of the top 10 teams in the league have taken Carter off their draft board. That comes in conjunction with the report that Carter's agent, Drew Rosenhaus, has told teams outside of the top 10 he will not take a top 30 visit to see them unless they're interested in trading up into the top 10 to get them. And what team is going to take a top 30 visit then and give that away? That's a significant 
report. I would prefer to see if I, I said it on Twitter, if I was Carter's agent, I would send him everywhere because I think that might help sway teams in the top 10 that are on the fence. Like, hey, this kid's willing to play anywhere for anyone and just prove he's going to be great. But that's Drew Rosenhaus, and that's how he operates, and so that shouldn't be that surprising. But two out of the top ten, that's that's pretty significant, right? Is Are the Seahawks one of them? Don't know. I tend to think they, are, they haven't definitively made that decision yet, so that's why I say that. Because, look, at the end of the day, and if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen this, and if you don't follow me on Twitter, you should, at Seahawks Forever. Uh, when I do mock drafts and everything else, I've, I've been adamant about talking about this. When you take Jalen Carter at five in a mock draft, the entire rest of the draft is way easier. Makes a lot more sense and gets a lot more fun. You can take some chances, not chances, but you can take some guys that have dynamic skills that you might see as a luxury pick or you know, a guy that doesn't fit as a three-down player like, um, like Will McDonald at Boston College. He's a guy I don't think fits if you need an edge that can also be stout against the run and maybe play some 3-4 defensive end. But he sure does as, a, as an edge rusher, a dynamic edge rusher that can get after the passer if you got a guy like Jalen Carter on your interior defensive line. Uh, things like that. Nolan Smith might fit better if Jalen Carter's up front as your first pick and you've got that box checked. You don't get Carter at five, even if you get Will Anderson. Now you're going into the second round or even pick 20. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Hunting for that big dude in the middle. You're hunting or up front, not necessarily in the middle. You're 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 looking for guys that are stout and bigger and can hold their ground if you miss out on Carter. So again, to reiterate, Anderson, Carter, or trade down. That's where I sit today. What about Tyree Wilson, Dan? You've been adamant about liking him as a player, and I still do. And maybe this is paralysis by analysis, but the more I read about him and what scouts think of him, and watch his tape, there are some causes for concern that he isn't an ideal fit. Pete Carroll would find a way to get the most out of his ability, and I think he'd be a dynamic addition to that front seven. But at five, I have enough doubt that I'd prefer to trade down if one of those two guys isn't there. And what about quarterback? I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's not my preference, but I get it. I get it. It's not going to be Stroud or Young. Otherwise, we'd be having another discussion. If CJ Stroud drops to five, I guess I could add this to the mix. If something crazy happens and he drops to five because the teams ahead of us are overthinking the whole thing, uh, I'm running to the podium, as the saying goes, turning in my card, not looking back. Um, so it's not going to be either of those two guys. Richardson, man, I can... If it's Richardson, I will sit here on draft night and I will tell you how I understand the pick. And I might even allow myself to get excited about it because I think that's not just the upside, but the character of that guy is exciting. You can see him being a franchise quarterback and leading a team. If it's Levis, I might have trouble with that at five. I see the arm talent. The character and the work ethic all seem to be in line. Um, I just, I think he has the most bust potential of those four, including Richardson. But I understand it. I get it. The Seahawks have been 
upfront and outspoken and honest about why they might. And all those things make sense. It just won't be my preference. I want that player to be a guy that can help us win now and for the next four years, starting day one, because I think that's how close they are if they have a good draft to contending in the NFC West. So that's where I sit. Now, at 20, I have a new favorite. You know, as you see draft boards evolve, for the longest time, I've talked about a lot, and you've seen it in my mocks, where it's fallen at 20 is that the group of players that tended to be available there led me to often take wide receivers. I think the run is going to start just before that. Um, and it would make a lot of sense there. A lot of you don't like that idea, but I'll sit here on draft night if they take a receiver at 20 and I will pound the table and tell you why it's a good idea. But some things have changed. A couple of prospects in particular. Um, the draft I did last, last week, I think I had Lucas Van Ness dropping to 20. I don't think he's going to drop that far, but he's sliding a little bit and he's a guy at 20 I would love, love, love. But a uh, name I want you to tuck away. Because I, I think he's been all over. Of all the prospects in this draft, he might be the most volatile as far as rankings go. PFF has this guy at 90. Daniel Jeremiah in his top 50 when it first came out this offseason had him at 8. And that's Keon White out of Georgia Tech. 6'5", 285. Some of you are scared off by the age. He just turned 24. But here's what I will say about that. This draft is unique, historically unique. Because of how many players took the extra COVID year, there are more 23 and 24-year-olds in this draft than we've ever seen. Don't overthink that. Don't overthink it. Keon White is one of the players in this draft, and there aren't many, that if you think well, like if you think we're lacking that true, as much as the Seahawks are going to run a, a hybrid, some even numbered fronts, some odd numbered fronts, it's not a true 3-4. Let's get away from that a little bit. But if you think they lack that true 3-4 defensive end outside Draymond Jones, this is that dude. 6'5", 285, really strong at the point of attack, tested great at the combine, incredibly active hands, and one of the hottest motors in the draft. And the fact he's 24 instead of 22, who gives a shit? First round, fifth round option. He becomes a great player. He becomes an all-pro player. Okay, you have him for five years, and he's 29 at the end of it? So what? Um at 20, I think would be tremendous value. I often see him falling into the second round, but again, that's because I think these simulators have him a little low. So just tuck that away. And the reason that, that I got thinking about this was because Pro Football Focus came out with two mock drafts today. And, uh, well, one was an article and one was a mock draft. And it's Mock Draft Monday, right? So I wanted to give you a bunch. We've got some bonus material today. This is all free. You realize that, right? enjoy it while you can't because it might not always be um first of all they came out with of all the teams that have multiple first round picks i think there's five of them uh what would their perfect first round be and for the seahawks they chose will anderson at five and jordan addison wide receiver out of usc at 20 um 
my immediate reaction was, I don't like it. And here's why. Obviously, I'm going to be happy with the Will Anderson pick at five that happens. But talked about how much I like receiver at 20 and how that makes sense. And, and part of the reason, as a side note, is because when you look at almost universally, when you look at mock drafts, the, the wide receiver run is going to start later this year than it has in the last four or five years. But it might be a little more severe. If it starts at 12, 13-ish, like a lot of people are projecting, those first four or five guys are going to fly off the board. And a lot of them are gone between 15 and 37. By 37, sometimes Josh Downs is still available. Sometimes Jalen Hyatt is. But I don't know how, I don't know how accurate that is. Zay Flowers ain't making it to 37. But at 20, and and again, especially after the testing he's done recently and, and his his tape from two years ago, Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State might not make it to 20. But he also might. <laughs> because there's Jordan Addison, because there's Quentin Johnson, teams like those, those guys, uh, I would just... That was my reaction to this, is I would choose, if I'm talking perfect, JSN would drop. I think he's, someone came at me today, but he's only a slot guy. Well, that's Seahawks' biggest need on offense right now in at, at the skill positions. Um, You know, someone came at me and said, well, Addison can play inside and outside. Okay. In Jigba, I see as a guy that can catch 100 balls. I see him as a dynamic, pro bowl, year in, year out guy on the inside and I think that's the Seahawks biggest need I really do it's what they drafted D. Eskridge to do and maybe it's just time to move on from that but also D. Eskridge is no Smith and Jigba his ability to run routes and separate and that lateral quickness and his ball skills are um, elite in my opinion so that would be my perfect first round and I'll take it a step I'll take it a step further I told you I'd give you a little bonus right um my perfect draft would not include a receiver. As much as I would, I can see it. I've mocked it. I'll continue to mock it probably to look at scenarios and would endorse it 100% if it happens. Just to take that idea that PFF put in my head, that little nugget, what, what would I call the perfect first round? And I'll even take it to pick 37. And it's, I've already kind of given some spoiler alerts. It would be Will Anderson at five, Keon White at 20, and at 37, either Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin or Mazzie Smith from Michigan. Because to me, in three picks, you've taken care of your three biggest needs on defense at positions of value. I don't think you could argue any of those picks or reaches. You get Will Anderson, a, I was going to say generational, I don't know if I'll go there yet, but just an outstanding locker room guy, first of all, who is a dynamic edge rusher who also is really effective against the run. A guy like we haven't had since prime Chris Clemens. White, already talked about him at 20, just how much he fits and what a just a lunch pail carrying blue collar dude he would be. Um, they would still probably add 10 plus sacks to the group. And then uh, Benton, a guy that can move around but can play nose and might be a little bit of a poor man's Jalen Carter. They're kind of built the same. Their game's similar. I'm not saying he's the same player, but the value at 37 of getting a Keanu Benton, or you take Mazzy Smith, who's just a two-gap 
run stuffing, clogging, disruptive nose tackle, something they don't have on the roster right now. To me, that's the perfect combo. And then it frees you up to just do whatever you want with the rest of the draft. Right? You still want that dynamic slot, you can get a Tyler Scott, or if one of those guys falls to the end of the second round, or a Charlie Jones later on. I mean, there's other dudes that I like at that position. Um, you can get your linebackers a little bit later. There's some value to be had there. You can get you can get your center, you can get your guard, you can get your interior offensive lineman, you can take a corner and a safety. You can still fill those needs later because if you add those guys in, which I think they're gonna, we're gonna talk about the curveball draft here in a minute. You take a even if you get Anderson at five, hypothetically, you take a receiver at 20. Now, if even if you get Mazzy Smith at 37, now you're going into that second, second round pick and you're having to look at that edge class because you got to add a guy there. You got to supplement that spot. So I just like better. Plus, this would free you up to go linebacker at the end of the second round too. Jack Campbell might fall that far. Dan Henley might fall that far. So um, that's where I'm at with that. Uh, let's do this because I've gone a little bit long. I want to give you my mock draft Monday Seahawks uh, full seven-round mock. Uh, my curveball mock draft, as I've called it. Uh, just kind of speculating what they might do to surprise us at each pick. Um. And then we're going to talk about PFF's mock that they released today where they did the whole league for three rounds and what the NFC looks like. But first, um, first this. It's a little message from our sponsor. Be back in a minute. I've had conversations with many of you who are thinking about starting your own podcast. And that's where I would start is uh, check that out and kind of look at how it works. Um, this is, uh, that's the platform you use to upload your podcast into and they distribute it for you. It's, um, what's interesting is when I first started doing my first podcast five or six years ago as uh, the Dan cave podcast, if some of you have been following me that long, um, this is what I used. It was under a different name then though. It was called anchor. And then they've been purchased by Spotify. Um, when I was doing field goals, we used megaphone. And so now it's been transitioned back. Um, and that's where I would start. A lot of you asked me about how to do a podcast. We can talk about equipment and how to actually record it and edit it, process it. So it sounds good. Um, little side note, my biggest pet peeve when I listen to podcasts is when it's, when it just doesn't sound good, when the mic isn't good, when the, the, the acoustics of the room aren't right, it can be very distracting. So, um, if any of you are thinking about doing that, reach out to me, DM me, and I would love to have those conversations with you and, uh, kind of get you started. So anyway, Let's get back to Mock Draft Monday. And if you're watching the live stream, uh, let's go into... Uh, let's share the screen, except it's not letting me do it. Hey. Um, okay. I know this isn't great audio if you're listening on the audio only, but let's just uh, restart this again because I do want to share the screen. There we go. So I wanted to to bring up the possibility that the Seahawks are going to throw some curveballs at us because they have so many times in the past. As I said earlier in the show, last year was really the first time I think most of us followed the draft and every time they walked up to the podium, it was like, oh yeah, I like that player and that player fits and he makes sense and it's value. And there were many, many years where I would always laugh uh, at, at how when the, when the, the person walks up to the podium to announce the Seahawks pick. I would try to anticipate what they're going to say. 
and what came out of their mouth was always way different. Um, so what if they do that again? And, and not necessarily, I'm not talking crazy reaches. I'm just talking kind of going by best player available, looking at the draft board and hypothesizing, what if they take someone that that isn't commonly mocked there? And, and with a lot of these picks, it was me forcing myself to go away from my trends. Um, just the whole point of this exercise is to give you an idea of what this might look like if they do something strange at one of these picks or two or three of these picks. But at the end of the day, would it all make sense and can you justify it? So I talked about my perfect scenario for five and what I want them to do. And it was Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, or trade down if they don't, or one of the quarterbacks, not my preference, but again, I get it. This is more likely a trade down scenario, even though I just did this mock on the PFF simulator and stayed at their native picks. If they're going to surprise us with their first pick, I've talked about the idea of cornerback. But as we get closer to the draft, I feel like some of those guys are slipping a little bit, that a lot of scouts and analysts think five is too high for Christian Gonzalez or Witherspoon. Okay? So what if they went Peter Skaronsky? And don't freak out, because here on the PFF simulator, it lists him as a tackle. But there are scouts and there are teams who, because he only has 32.5-inch arms, as good as he is, and as good as he was in the Big Ten, going up against the best pass rushers in that conference, at tackle, uh, they see him being an, an elite guard. Yes, that's high for a guard. But again, if your two options are gone, if you've taken, and, and in this scenario, this would probably only happen if the Seahawks have taken Carter off their draft board and Anderson's gone and they decide not to go quarterback. Peter Skaronsky is plug and play. He's a guy you could put in at right guard, even though they re-signed Phil Haynes. But Phil has experience playing left guard and right guard. Remember, he can be that ultimate kind of super backup. Skaronsky's a guy you plug and play as a rookie, similar to what they did last year at both tackle spots, right? And he might be a pro bowler as a rookie, and he's a 10-year guy. So what you did last year at tackle, you could now do at guard. Just something to think about. At 20, I thought this was fun. This is a player I've had some pretty spirited debates with people about. Kalijah Kansi out of Pittsburgh. It's been compared to Aaron Donald because, not same player, but because he's shorter, not as long, went to Pittsburgh, and is high motor as you can get and really dynamic. I haven't felt throughout the entire draft process like he's a fit for the Seahawks especially today as we sit here and we look at the roster because he's not big enough to play nose. He's not long enough to play. And I thought he'd be a fun luxury pick if he falls into the second round as a rotational player, but probably doesn't fit overall. Maybe the Seahawks disagree because we keep hearing and seeing and I mentioned it earlier in the show, try, try to come off of getting so stuck on their 3-4, their 3-4. That guy doesn't fit. Seahawks are going to play some even fronts and odd fronts. And they're going to play some of that bear front, an eagle, right? Bear with the five, essentially five-man front. Maybe Kansi does fit. The Seahawks love unique 
talents. And Kansi is certainly that. They might see that he's dynamic enough that even if he isn't a three-down defender, that he can add value at the 20th spot, depending on how the draft falls to him. 37, I thought this was interesting. He was the best player available at the time. And I have talked to some (laughs) draft heads, friends of mine, some draft nerds, some mock draft addicts, friends of mine, including Michael Thompson, who's been on the show and will be again in the next couple of weeks, about Tanner McKee. If there is that one quarterback, I've talked about how this quarterback's very top-heavy. There's the four guys, and then there's Hendon Hooker, and then there's a big drop-off. Tanner McKee is kind of the wild card. He's a guy that might benefit from the lack of depth in this class. He's someone that was talked about before last season as a first-round prospect, and then he had a he had a year at Stanford where he didn't necessarily look terrible, but the team was a shambles. The offense was a shambles. The offensive line was terrible. He had a couple of good weapons. He had Michael Wilson and Elijah Higgins. Didn't have a running game. And did I mention the offensive line was terrible? Yeah, they were. But this guy, he's six foot six, two thirty-one, really moves well for a guy six six, and might have almost as good an arm talent as those top four guys. Throws a really pretty deep ball, really accurate, and there are many, many examples on tape of him making NFL throws, of throwing balls down the seam into tight windows, into coverage, and putting the ball right on the money. He's a guy that, to me, looks like a really good fit in a Shane Waldron offense. And I could see them taking a flyer on him in the second, using that, that's an extra pick from the Broncos. People have talked about how, hey, pick number fives from the Broncos, it's a gift, right? Use it on a quarterback. It's like it's like a bonus. So is 37. Tanner McKee in a couple of years could be a really good start in the NFL. The Seahawks may be thinking along those lines. At 52, Henry Toto. Early in the draft process, we talked about this guy, and then his stock seemed to slip. But something struck me over the last week. First of all, when the Seahawks went to the Alabama Pro Day, there's a great picture taken from behind Pete Carroll where he is intently watching To'o To'o's workout. The reason I came off him and haven't mocked him much is he's a little smaller. Uh, 6 227, I think. I don't have it in front of me, but that's, I think, what I saw earlier today. There's been so much talk about how when Jamal Adams comes back healthy, that the plan for him, first of all, last year was to essentially use him as a weak side linebacker, not a true safety. Let him stop the run, rush the passer, not be in coverage as much. To'o his skill set would match that role. Explosive athlete, good sideline to sideline. And when I looked at his measurements and his testing, not that dissimilar from Adams. So I just found that to be interesting. You know, one thing you don't see in this draft is a traditional Mike linebacker, but there aren't many in this draft. If you don't get Jack Campbell, you're kind of searching for that guy, right? Um, but To'o To'o might be a guy that could play in that scheme, in that spot if Adams isn't ready to go or even long-term. On the third round, at some point, I think they're going to take a corner in this draft, especially given that it doesn't seem like they're going to move Kobe Bryant back outside. I thought maybe when they signed Julian Love, that might be in the cards. Doesn't sound like it. They have a different role carved out for Love. Uh, I think Kobe stays in the slot. 
So they're, I, it's a good, deep, talented cornerback group. I don't see them getting out of this draft without taking one. DJ Turner, one of Feldman's freaks, outstanding athlete. Uh, a guy that might even, similar to Kobe, although a much better athlete, much quicker, much more explosive, might be able to play a little inside-outside as well. In the fourth round, this isn't that much of a curveball, uh, although it's higher than he has tended to go. I've taken him in the seventh round a lot lately. Um, Keandre Coburn, who is one of my under-the-radar favorite nose tackle prospects in this draft. Watch the tape. This dude has long arms. He's 330 pounds. And even when you watch him side-by-side with Siaki Ika and Mazzy Smith, this guy's motor runs hotter. He's 100%, 100% of the time. He's a fun guy flying under the radar, and I feel like in the fourth round, if if we get out of the second round and and you see Ika and Smith go to other teams and you're upset, what are we going to do about nose tackle? If they take Keandre Coburn at some point, be excited. And then another guy that's new to my view because of a mock draft that Bruce Feldman did on The Athletic last week where with each pick, he had a lot of intel from opposing college coaches about these players. It's one of the reasons I moved Keon White up and see him as a target at 20 or the things that opposing coaches said about him. Yaya Diaby was a guy that's totally under the radar. 6'5", 6'3", 263, and has been called by some of those opposing coaches as the most dynamic, explosive player that they faced. Great bend, but he's got a little more size than like a Daryl Taylor and maybe one of the most underrated, under-the-radar pass-rushing defensive ends in this draft. Uh, took a running back in round five. It's going to happen at some point, but this particular one is one that I don't think's gotten a lot of attention. Chris Rodriguez out of Kentucky, and the reason I like him in particular, um, not the explosive home run hitter that a lot of you might want to see, but maybe kind of a thunder versus lightning type um, backfield companion. Uh, to Ken Walker, a uh, real powerful inside runner. And then finish up with two offensive linemen. So, as much as we all want to see them take a center high, and I have mocked it over and over again, we've talked about Tipman and Michael Schmitz and Whippler, right? Uh, Avila in the top two or three rounds. If it gets to this point point, they haven't taken a center yet, y'all are going to be freaking out, and I know it, going into day three, what are we going to do? First of all, keep in mind, they only signed Evan Brown to a one-year contract. I get it, but he's only 27 years old. He is an outstanding center, and he may have an opportunity to seize that job and be the center long-term. But it affords them the luxury of, stop me if you've heard this term before, letting the draft come to them. And what if they get to some of these other picks and they think, ooh, we like Tanner McKee's upside too much at 37 to pass him up. We like To'o To'o's ability to contribute as a rookie in long term too much. You see what I'm saying? Where it's just the best pick for them in that moment if they're truly going to go best player available and let the draft come to them. Round six, Jake Andrews, a guy out of Troy. It's getting a lot of buzz, really rising up draft boards, has tested really well, good athlete. Um, a guy that can play guard and center, but has played a lot of center. Um really getting a lot of late round buzz, which is probably why PFF gave me an A minus for making this pick. Maybe they take a guy, given the fact they have Evan Brown this year, that they think might need a year or two to develop. 
but could really be a high-end starter. And uh, same idea in the seventh round with City Sow. I've taken him before, and I know I took Scaronzi earlier, so he's he's a guard. But City Sow is different than Scaronzi. He's a big dude, 6'5", 323. And I didn't even know who he was before the combine, but he tested so out of this world good. Then you go back and watch the tape, which is hard to find. He's out of Eastern Michigan, hard to find games. But you do, and he's mowing people down and looking good in pass protection. So maybe you come out of this with a young developmental center in the sixth round to play and learn behind Evan Brown, and then you come out with your two guards of the long-term future to go along with your two tackles of the future that you took last year. So what do you think about the curveball draft? Give me any, uh, give me your thoughts on that. Um, now I want to do this, and let me just try to pull this up real quick as well, um, because this is what... Um, Well, I'll just have to give it to you audio-wise. I'm not able to pull that up. If you're watching the live stream, I apologize. Uh, PFF did a three-round mock draft for the entire league, and they broke it down by division. And just real quickly, here is what they gave the NFC West. Let's start with the Rams, who, of course, again, don't have a first-round pick. They only have three picks through the first three rounds. So at pick number 36 in the second round, they go Cam Smith, cornerback out of South Carolina. Certainly have a need at cornerback after trading away Jalen Ramsey. Uh, And then in the third round, they have two picks because uh, I think they're both comp picks, actually. Sidney Brown, the safety out of Illinois. Again, they let Taylor Rapp walk, so they have a need. And Michael Wilson, the wide receiver at 77 in round three that I just mocked uh, yesterday and posted and that so many people like and that Doug Baldwin loves so much out of his alma mater and the Seahawks met with at the Combine. Um, Boy, he'd be good in that offense. Uh, That's You know what? For only having uh, a second and two-thirds, that's some pretty good value for the Rams. Addressing needs and uh, and getting some players with with upside. 49ers uh, don't have a pick until the third round. And again, some of these, um, I think these are comp picks. Um, Travius Hodges Tomlinson, diminutive cornerback from TCU, but a real, just a just a junkyard dog in the slot. Uh, it seems to fit that mentality with the 49ers. Great pick there. I think at 99, PFF gives it an A+. Uh, Edge, Isaiah McGuire out of Missouri at 101. A guy that I've mocked to the Seahawks many times. I really like a guy that can play the run. He's physical, good motor, can get around the edge as well. Boy, you add him to what the 49ers already have, and that just gives him even more dynamic depth. And then uh, Tyler Steen, tackle out of Alabama at 102. A guy that's a developmental tackle, not going to play day one. Arizona uh, at three, Will Anderson. Obviously, yeah, that's concerned. Do we want to see him in the division? Do we want to have to face him two times a year? That's kind of a scary thought, but it's what you lose and what you gain, right? Arizona's lost Zach Allen and J.J. Watt. So you add Will Anderson to that shirt. Um, that's a guy we're going to have to deal with, and that's a great pick for them, I think, especially new coach trying to establish a new culture. He's A-plus when it comes to character and makeup. Um, of course, that makes sense at three. Joe Tipman, the center. Uh, at 34, a guy that we've talked about a lot, really athletic for that size, can get to the second level, can maul, can really run. They've had issues on the offensive line over the last few years. That makes a lot of sense for them. 
Uh, third round, Garrett Williams, cornerback out of Syracuse, a guy 5'10", not a real long corner, not a guy I don't think the Seahawks would target with their current roster, and a guy coming off an AC, ACL injury. Um, good, solid players, got some upside. Um, not a bad pick. And then Keishon Boutte at uh, 96, which I think would be great value. Um, I'm shocked that PFF gives this a C-. minus. I've taken Boutte uh, and talked about him uh, as a second-round target of the Seahawks, a guy that can hit the home run, really dynamic, run after the catch, can play in the slot. Um, I'll be shocked if he lasts until 96, and uh, I certainly think that's better than a C-. minus. So that's, that's a good, I'll tell you what, that's a really good start for the new regime in Arizona, if that's what they end up with. I'd have to go. I didn't look at the entire draft and what was still on the board when they took Garrett Williams at 66. I feel like that's a spot where if I'm picking guys that might scare me more as a Seahawks fan, I could probably select someone else, but that's a pretty solid haul. And then here's what they did for the Seahawks. And this is different, different guy doing this draft than the one that did uh, the two that I talked about earlier. Uh, at five, Anthony Richardson. Again, I can justify it and I can even allow myself to get excited about it. At 20, Quentin Johnson. So here we go. Receiver again. Um, more of an outside guy, obviously. Uh, but a guy that can hit the home run, great ball skills, wins the jump ball, really helps him in the red zone. Um, PFF gives it an A+. I wouldn't be mad about Quentin Johnson at 20. At 37, Felix Anadike Uzoma. I've talked about him. Kansas State, one of the highest motors in this draft as an edge guy, can really bend and get off the edge. Um there is nothing about picking him at any point in the draft that would upset me. Uh, Luke Whipler at 52 in the second round. There's your starting center. Might even be able to beat out um, Evan Brown as a rookie, a guy that fits the offense. I've called him a bigger, stronger Austin Blythe. A guy that can really move, get to the second level. Strength isn't his forte, but he's not. He's not going to get blown off the ball like Austin Blythe was. Um, he's a long-term starter and a guy that at 52, I would take all day long. And then one of my favorite guys in the draft, you've heard me talking about him a bunch of times in the third round. At 83, I've seen him all over the place as far as projections, but Moro Ajomo, uh, edge player, defensive tackle. They list him as a defensive lineman here. He's a guy that can play on all fours. He can play down, he can play over the nose, but he can also play the edge. He can be that five technique. Um, outstanding. Again, something about Texas, man. If you, if all you do defensive line-wise later in this draft is take a Jomo and Keandre Coburn, uh, I'm happy. Um, you'd be happy with this guy too. Long arms, really holds the point of attack and get after the passer too. Uh, one of my favorite mid-round guys in this draft. So, Overall, even with Richardson being the pick after what I said earlier about how I'd prefer it to be one of those other guys, I would be ecstatic with what PFF did here uh, for the Seahawks to finish that out. Speaking of finishing things out, I just want to comment on this. Geno Smith um, published a an article on the Players' Tribune, which is a website written by players. Um, it was a letter to the Twelves. And if you haven't read it, read it. It's free. Just Google Players Tribune. It'll come up today. And a lot of it, a lot of the comments he made at his press conference when he signed his comment, this is just a continuation of those. I did find it interesting. Maybe the timing with all this talk about how they might take a quarterback at five and Carol coming out last week and saying, hey, we talked to Gino about this. He knows we might do it. He's cool with it. Uh, maybe the 
timing isn't coincidental, right? That this is him saying, hey, this is this is my gig, man. And I don't intend to give it up. Uh, just an outstanding piece. And just further evidence that um, one of the reasons Geno Smith got the deal he did, that the Seahawks wanted to keep him around as long as they did as a backup and give him the opportunity when they traded Russell Wilson, um, is not just this ability, his ability to throw the football, which is significant, um, but it's his attitude and his work ethic and how he views himself. And if you haven't read it, I don't want to give too much away, but basically the, I would say the bottom line or the theme, the overall theme of this is whatever you thought of what I did last year, I am just getting started. And even addresses how he played in the three games the year before when Russ got hurt and how he views his performance in those games. Very, very interesting. Again, I'm not going to paraphrase it. Don't want to give it away, but read it. Just 100% read it. You'll love it. Uh, That's going to do it for me today. Thanks for listening. Again, three weeks away from the draft. Um, My intention at this time is to live stream the draft. I've already done some tests. I can run the feed from NFL Network or ESPN simultaneously and be there reacting to it live. Um, And I've also put out the idea, some of you have seen it on Twitter, of having some of you jump in as well. If you're thinking about doing that, if that appeals to you, just make sure you have a nice, solid webcam and microphone connection so you can be seen well and heard well. Um, nothing else you would need to do. I just send you a link from uh, StreamYard, which is the, the streaming service here, the, the software that I use to do the stream. And uh, I basically just send you a link. You click on the link, boom. It, it, it asks for permission from your webcam and your mic and you pop up. It's kind of like Zoom. Basically, I guess that that would be the analogy I would make. So uh, if you're thinking about doing that, let me know. Reach out to me. uh, Send me a DM on Twitter. Or if you have my number, text me directly. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, I I have talked this week about, hey, are the Seahawks going to do a draft party? They have two picks, for God's sake. They should. That'd be tempting to go to, but I think the live stream would be a lot more fun. So uh, keep your eye out for that. If there's any breaking news over the next couple of weeks, I'll certainly react to that. But otherwise, you know, a couple shows a week leading up to the draft, I'll start doing some uh, some more positional breakdowns now over the next couple of weeks, what I think of certain position groups. So thanks again for listening. Uh, whatever podcast app you use, please subscribe. Then you get notifications of new episodes. If you're watching this on YouTube, definitely subscribe. Hit that bell. Uh, it helps It helps the podcast positioning and and uh, to be seen and heard by more people. So appreciate that. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Until then, go Hawks. Talk to you soon.